Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're through week two of the 2023 season and things are starting to settle in. The stars and the frauds amongst our favorite players are becoming more and more clear and we need to discuss how to navigate going forward. I'll run through and give my thoughts on a few players who have underperformed to this point in the season, ward y'all off from some trap players on the waiver wire this week, and then we'll be discussing who you should actually target on the waiver wire in order to help your teams in another round of waiver wire pickups where I'll be giving you five quarterbacks, five running backs, five wide receivers, and three tight ends for you to consider. All this and more coming right after this. Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback. Marvin Harrison, junior touchdown. Marvelous Mar. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing of the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday and Wednesday morning during the season at 6 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work we are doing here, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our amazing tiers. You'll find everything you need for your cff devi and c2c needs including rankings articles tools and even more than that you can also find me and the show on twitter i'm at cff underscore jared and the show is at chasing the natty y'all we are through week two another crazy round of games this past weekend definitely not the greatest start to the season for my sec homerism for sure i mean alabama got their quite frankly got their tail whooped in a good chunk of their game against texas this past weekend they're just looking rough all over and yeah just a lot of takeaways from this past weekend like texas looks texas looks really really good and so, but we don't, we're not going to talk about all that. Again, we, you guys watched the games, you guys had your fun, but you really want me to come here and tell you guys what you should be doing with your fantasy teams moving forward. I really hope that each of you won all of your matchups, even though, you know, statistically half of you lost, which is unfortunate, but even still, like, we will cover a lot of different things here today in order to kind of help you guys moving forward again we're going to go all over the spectrum we're going to be discussing players that have underperformed so far we're going to be discussing who you should target moving forward and then also i'm going to try to ward you off you guys off of some guys who kind of look like tasty little treats for cff moving forward but you know you got to be careful with some of these guys because look what happened to all the people who went and grabbed dylan edwards from this past week didn't work out so well um if you guys haven't noticed already i'm flying solo this week again it's just a crazy week all around so i wasn't able to get a guest on this week but i hope that you guys are totally okay with listening to me for the next hour hour and a half however long this this ends up taking again got a lot of stuff to cover here so i think we'll go ahead and jump right on into it again I'm going to skip a lot of the game recaps. Again, you guys, one, I appreciate a lot of you guys have started giving me feedback for the in-season content. And again, I do try to listen to you guys as much as you can. And 
So going forward, I think I'm going to try to either, if not altogether, remove the game recaps because you guys can get that pretty much anywhere else. Um, I'm going to try to focus in on just some kind of really bigger fantasy stuff. And most of the time, I'll end up covering that in the waiver wire pickups as well. And instead, I'm going to try to replace it with either one or two segments here towards the start that I think you guys will probably enjoy quite a bit in addition to the waiver wires. One is I'm going to kind of do an abbreviated version of what we call the freakout scale. So for those of you who have not been following on Twitter, every weekend we have been posting graphics called the freakout scale. This is an invention by Nate Marquise last year that I thought was an incredible idea that we brought onto the show last year. And so this year we turned it into a weekly graphic you can find on Twitter at Chasing the Natty. Um, but again, because we have some extra time here today, I'm going to run through some guys that we considered for putting on that this week. Again, if you're listening to this now, we have put out a graphic already for Sia Bengera and Braylon Allen. But there's a lot of other guys here that you guys wanted to hear about. And so, you know, just because, you know, I have the time here, let's go ahead and run through some of these guys real quick. We'll start with the quarterbacks here. Gotta start with Drake May. And I, I say quarterbacks, there was really only one quarterback that people were really asking about. Drake May, where am I on him? For those of you who do not know uh, or who are not familiar with the uh, freakout scale, let me run through you real quick, like kind of what the scale is. It's a one to 10 scale. One is start with confidence. There's no problem here. Like he should be in your lineup, no problem. Three is like, a, you know, start monitoring it a little closely. You know, if, if you have a better guy, probably just, or a safer option, probably just best to go with them. Five, start looking for a backup plan. That's when you should start scouring the waiver wire in case things go south. You already have somebody on your bench ready to go and pick up for them. Eight is like bench him now. I don't care if like, I don't care if your backup option isn't all that great. Like you got to, he cannot be in your starting lineup because there's not any kind of upside there. And then 10 is just drop that full. He shouldn't be on your roster whatsoever. So where am I with Drake May? I wrote this down as a six to seven, which really seems kind of harsh. Um, But like, this was a guy we took in the first round this year, y'all. This was a guy that was matchup proof last year, pretty much until the end of the season. And this past weekend was really supposed to be the opportunity for him to show that like, you know, in these high scoring matchups, it's still the Drake May show. It is still going to be, the offense is still going to flow through him. And that is just not what we got. Like, yeah, UNC put up 40 points. Granted, they needed overtime to get there and they struggled through most of the game. But even still, like, Drake May only scored one touchdown this past weekend. It was a rushing touchdown. Just the passing game, while again, it's it's been okay. Like, it's just not what the offense is really flowing through. Again, Amari Hampton ran for over 200 yards this past weekend. We'll talk about him briefly in a bit but for now like drake may with two just around 20 point performances like unless you think that he's gonna bounce back in this next upcoming week i'm very close to just bench him now you absolutely should be scouring the waiver wire in case this continues that's kind of where i'm at with him see a bangira is the next name I have up here, the running back out of Ohio. I drafted him quite highly in a lot of leagues. I got him as a three. I'm monitoring this closely. Obviously not a great performance this past weekend. Getting out carried by O'Shawn Allison definitely has a lot of people worried, and I totally get that. But he still has a lot of the volume there. I think it was just a bad performance this past week. That's why Allison kind of got brought in, because, you know, if... It's, it's football malpractice if your running back is, you know, running 15 yards and only can get um, 
you're, you're barely getting three yards a pop there. It makes sense to try to bring in another guy, especially a veteran in Oshan Allison, and let him kind of get some carries and, you know, try again next week with Bangura. It sucked because I started him in quite a few spots this past weekend, expecting that Ohio FAU game to be high scoring, which it was not. As I'm over two on those high scoring matchups that I'm expecting uh, between UTSA and Houston, and then now Ohio and FAU. But still, like, I think once we get to the MAC, Bangura is going to end up being fine. He was fine last year. Allison's definitely going to still be there, so he's probably not going to have as high of a ceiling as he had last year. But for now, I'm still going to put him in my lineups if the matchup is right. I'm totally, I'm, I'm only at a three for him. Next up, I got Caleb Johnson, the running back out of Iowa. I got this as a five six. I'm looking for a backup plan here. I am scouring the waiver wire. This is already an offense that is really struggling to put up points. Like. Brian Ferentz literally has in his contract this year, you must score 25 points per game, and he has yet to do that through two weeks into the season. And his two opponents, by the way, have been Utah State and Iowa State. Those are not exactly shut down defenses right there. So, again, this Hawkeyes offense is going to continue to struggle to score. I and a lot of other people drafted Caleb Johnson coming into this year expecting that, you know, he kind of took over at the end of last year. This is going to be his year. He's moving forward as the number one running back for Iowa, and we're just not seeing it. Again, a dismal performance this past weekend. I'm absolutely looking for a backup plan and, quite frankly, benching him where I can. Uh, next up, Braylon Allen. This is a big one. This was very much a disappointing performance this past week, um, especially against Wazoo. No touchdowns. Got plenty of receiving work, but I think the thing that really scares people is just second week in a row it looks like that Braylon Allen just really isn't the main guy at best it's a split backfield between him and Ches Malusi and Ches Malusi far out carried him this past week so I think that's definitely I understand why that's got people riled up this passing game still hasn't quite taken off and I think especially once we start seeing Wisconsin get into some Big Ten play I think they're really gonna have to start relying on Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen the real question is can Allen kind of start performing better on a down-per-down basis? I think he can. And again, I, I personally have this as a four. I'm monitoring it, definitely watching it, kind of getting close to, like, if I'm really struggling in a league, I probably am going to spend up a little bit and try to get some backup running back options, go ahead and start looking for those guys. But for right now, again, Braylon Allen, I probably got it as a, as a four right now. I think it'll come back to him eventually. He's too talented of a guy to have multiple, multiple weeks in a row where, you know, he's, he's going to struggle the rest of the season. I think it'll be fine long term. Rodney Hammond's the next one. This is a nine for me. Dude has 11 carries through two weeks. This is by far one of the most disappointing developments of this season right here. Rodney Hammond looked phenomenal last year when they gave him the opportunity to be the bell cow back for the Panthers last year. I have no idea why this coaching staff has decided to go full committee with their approach this year. It has not worked out for them very well so far. But if Hammond's only getting five, six carries a week, like this is a full drop. There's no reason to keep him around unless like this upcoming weekend, for some reason, he just completely pops off, gets, you know, 20 plus carries and they go back to what they were doing before. But as far as I'm concerned, he's an easy drop for me right now. Uh, Number uh, last, not not even, I don't even know where my brain was going there. Not the last running back, but C.J. Donaldson got a lot of running backs on uh, on the freakout list this week. Because, again, we only got one wide receiver after this. But people are asking about C.J. Donaldson. 
running back out of West Virginia here. I got this as a two. He performed well against Penn State. Again, 18 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Looked pretty okay. A lot of people are like, oh, like this past week, like he was, didn't perform well against Duquesne. I'm like, yo, have you seen how many other schools around the country, like when they blow out these FCS opponents, they quickly sit a lot of the starters, especially running backs that they know they're going to need down the line. I think that's exactly what happened with Donaldson this past week. I think he's going to be fine. Uh, I got it as a two. Again, maybe they sat him a little too early. It's a little concerning that there's some other guys that are kind of performing pretty well back there. But like, it's not. A, it, it's no nowhere nowhere past the two here. Um, last running back here. This is honestly probably a little personal bias here. But like, Jace McCollin was a name that kept, people kept bringing up. Obviously, not the start we wanted to see from him over the first two weeks. I was really, really hoping that you know we would see him heavily involved against Texas and we did someone again he got 12 carries um only one reception but he got targeted quite a bit just some really off throws from Jalen Milrow throughout that entire game I think that he got hurt by the fact that Bama went down early if if this game was closer I really feel like that Bama would have definitely involved him a lot more it definitely hurts that Jalen Milrow decides to take off and run he actually out carried McClellan so But I personally only got this as a three. I think Bama will eventually get back to the point where, you know, McClellan is still their main guy. I think that he'll have some really, really good weeks throughout the season. Is he going to probably have the RB1 finish that I was probably hoping that he would have? Probably not, which is unfortunate. But I still think he'll be a startable fantasy asset moving forward here. And then last but not least, we got a wide receiver here, Squirrel White. Um... I guess it really just goes with its whole Tennessee passing offense. I mean, we all knew this was a risk with Joe Milton that like things could go south pretty quickly for them over there. But like it's definitely kind of been a bit of a struggle. I mean, the first half against Virginia was a struggle. They kind of turned things on a little bit in the second half, but even still, like it was mainly the run game that was working. And then this past week, I mean, shoot, they only, they were only up 13-6 against Austin P going into halftime. And again, one, even even after they came out of the half, like the passing game, just something's still very off. Milton, uh, again, I hate to say this because I was a big believer of him going into the season and everything, but like his time is very limited if he continues to kind of put up stinkers like this. Like there's no way once they get into conference play, they're going to put up with him starting off one and eight in passing. Again, and again, it was against Austin P. That is just absolutely abysmal. Again, I know that there were some wide receiver drops involved in there, but even still, like, anyway, I'm getting off. T- I'm getting off on a tangent there. Tennessee uh, passing off- offense does concern me quite a bit, and thus I do bump up Squirrel White to about a five here. You're absolutely looking for a backup plan. Squirrel White to me still has the biggest potential of the guys in this room, but when he is kind of splitting slot. Uh, slot snaps with uh, Dante Thornton there and we're having trouble with the passing game there in Tennessee which is absolutely crazy in a Josh Heupel offense I think that again you absolutely need to be looking for a backup plan if not already have one on your bench all right that's it for the freak out list that was kind of my brief um, thoughts on where I am with all those guys. You can agree with me, disagree with me. In fact, if 
um, as a smart YouTuber should, I'm going to tell you guys to let me know down in the comments, uh, listen to all those ratings that I gave all of those guys and let me know whether or not you agree with them. In fact, just for your benefit, I'm going to run through them again. Drake May, I gave about a six, seven. Sia Bengar, I gave a three. Caleb Johnson, I gave a five to six. Uh, Braylon Allen, I give a four. Rodney Hammond is a full nine. CJ Donaldson, a two. Jason McClellan, a three. Probably closer to a four if I'm being more objective because I do love Jason McClellan. And then score wide, I got it as a straight five. So that is it for the freakout list. I'm going to take a sip of a drink. Hydrate or dehydrate, everybody. And now let's go talk about some waiver wire stuff and not necessarily the guys you need to be picking up. But this is something I noticed last week is that we need to be very careful, all of you guys out there who are playing college fantasy, you got to be careful not to just go chasing points. Don't just look at the guys who scored the most last week and try to grab those guys. Like you're kind of setting yourself up for a lot of failure and like, I, to some of you, that, that seems super obvious, especially if you played fantasy of any kind. But like, I do think there is a segment out there that needs to hear that because there was a large amount of people last week who were going after Dylan Edwards, the running back out of Colorado, after his absolutely insane performance against TCU last week. And you know, people are people are like people are talking about like, oh, like he's gonna he's, he's gonna be an absolute star all year. I'm like. Do you guys really expect him to get four touchdowns on 11 touches moving forward? And guess what? I ended up being proven right this past weekend when he, if I remember correctly, I should have I should have written down these stats, but let's look at his game log from this past week. Yeah, nine carries, 55 yards, three receptions, eight yards. So he got 12 touches this past weekend. And look at that, zero touchdowns and 63 yards total. So the people who went point chasing... Um, with Dylan Edwards ended up getting burned pretty badly there. Another example was Trell Harris. I was a little bit worried. I, like I almost put him into last week's waiver wire video, but I was like, there's something here that just tells me that this isn't going to be something consistent. We tweak, obviously, you know, four touchdowns is not going to be something consistent week to week, but like, I just didn't even know if he was going to be the number one guy for Ole Miss on a week by week basis. And guess what? Ended up being proven right on that this past week as well. He only had two catches for 50 something yards and a touchdown. A lot of people were freaking out early on because he got a touchdown early on. They're like, okay, here we go again. He's going to be the main guy. Disappears the entire rest of the game. So, again, we got to be really careful with like who we're going chasing here. So I'm going to run through about five guys here that I identified that had really good weeks from this past week that just avoid, I would say. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really touch them. Some of you might disagree with me on some of this. But let's go ahead and talk about these five guys. Again, we can't... Just again, remember, we got to be smart about who we're investing in with waiver wires. Context is everything in college fantasy football. These guys are the fool's gold. These are the traps. These are like the woman in the one airplane video who is sit. She would she would be looking at these guys and pointing at them being like, these mother efforts are not real. These guys are not real. These are not going to be CFF assets for you guys moving forward, at least until they continue to prove themselves a little bit here. Let's start with Kieran Slovis, the quarterback out of BYU. Full disclosure, I touted Slovis as a fun little, you know, throw option at throw an option at the end of a lot of your drafts, just because of the history of the BYU quarterback position here. He went off for almost 40 points this past weekend. We just saw Kedon Slovis and the Cougars struggle against Sam Houston. 
um, just two weeks before. Keaton Slope, the passing game was struggling in that game big time. It looked a lot better this past week, but again, it was an FCS opponent. You'll notice that in pretty much all five of these guys here. And again, if you're on YouTube, you already see all five guys here, but every single player we're going to talk about here played against an FCS opponent. So that's part of the reason why it's so hard to project these guys moving forward. But I think the likely scenario for Slovis is that he's going to fall somewhere in the middle of the last two performances he's had. So I'm expecting around 20, 25 point performances, which is, you know, there's still some value in that. Obviously, if you're in a really deep league, like it makes a lot of sense to bring in Slovis. But at the same time, like we know this offense can be shut down and it didn't really take a lot for them to get shut down against Sam Houston there. So I wouldn't go out there grabbing Keaton Slovis, expecting him to have more of those almost 40 point weeks there. Some other guys here, Ja'Cory Merritt. Some of you might be asking, who the heck is that? Well, he was a running back from New Mexico that went off for three touchdowns this past week. Um, I believe he was the number two overall running back for the week. Yeah, but he only did it on 12 carries. And the last two weeks, he has seen 11 carries and 12 carries. It's very, very similar to what we've been seeing with Dylan Edwards. Again, the volume just isn't there for you to rely on consistently week to week. Now, may, that maybe that might improve. Again, this is the fun thing about college fantasies. You are trying to project, like, all right, who's going to get more work? Like, a guy that, you know, scores three touchdowns on 12 carries and is over, I believe he almost, he went almost over 200 yards in this game for New Mexico. Maybe that does earn him more carries. Again, this is the this is the old offensive coordinator from UAB. So maybe they see what he did here and they say, hey, we got to maybe feed this guy 20 times a game. That could happen. As of right now, I don't think that's something you should be able to project here. Again, New Mexico historically has been a terrible offense. Again, maybe that changes with the new offensive coordinator. But like, I find it hard to expect on a week-by-week basis three touchdowns out of this entire offense, let alone there be three touchdowns that get associated with one guy. I personally would stay away on Ja'Cory Merritt there. Another one that I think, another running back I think is going to be a pretty popular option for a couple of people, especially with him having two back-to-back good performances here. Travion Cooley, running back out of Georgia Tech. Again, he's super efficient. And frankly, in my opinion, he does deserve more carries. But like Merritt, just the volume isn't there. And again, Georgia Tech is going to be able to play South Carolina every single week here. I'm not going to go too much further into this because again, I like Cooley. I know a lot of us have been waiting for him to find an offense where he really can perform. And I think he can. And I think the coaching staff would be smart to get him more carries given how well he has done recently. But at the same time, like, don't go, don't go and grab him because again, like, you know, 10 to 12 touches per week for a running back is not something you want to be relying on on a week-by-week basis here. Maybe in a couple years when every school under the sun goes running back by committee, we're going to be looking for these guys that could be super efficient on 12 carries. But for right now, we're still in the age where you're probably looking for guys that are getting way more touches than that. Another running back here that I think a lot of people are pretty impressed with on, I believe it was Thursday night. I think they were all by themselves on Thursday night here. No, 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 it was Friday night because it was Illinois and Indiana playing the same night. Anyway, um, Jalen Lucas, running back out of Indiana. I know a lot of people were kind of hyping this guy up before the season. And this past week kind of showed that, you know, there is a path for him to have CFF relevance here. I just don't know if we can really base it all off just this one performance Lucas is just an incredible athlete. Again, our athletic tools at campusacant.com, I went and checked. They have him in the 98th percentile for speed amongst everybody in college football. He is a wickedly fast 
running back. And I think that's exactly what happened here this past weekend against an FCS, excuse me, FCS competition. Just completely out-athleted pretty much everybody on that defense for just big gains constantly throughout the night. I just don't see him being able to do that once you have some better athletes for him to go up against. Again, I think he'll still have some really good games. You know, with his speed, he absolutely has breakaway ability. So you don't need him to have 20 carries a game in order for him to have a decent day. But for right now, it's just not something I would want to invest in. And kind of very similarly to New Mexico, like Indiana's offense just hasn't really been great the last couple of years. So like, you know, the touchdown opportunity is probably not going to be there for Lucas like, you know, it would be for other teams. So like, again, I have a hard time seeing Indiana scoring three touchdowns in a game, let alone all three going to one person. Very similar to the New Mexico thought that I had there. Although I would say Indiana probably has a bit better chance of that than, you know, New Mexico, but even still, like my point still stands. Last one I want to throw out here. This is the one where, like, I feel like I might be being a bit too harsh here because I do think he, you know, there's absolutely a path for him to, you know, have a really, really good season here. But Hudson Clement, this is somebody that came out of absolutely nowhere. He is a true freshman for those of you who don't know, and we absolutely love to see true freshmen emerge this early on the season. But this dude went from like having zero involvement in week one where he had zero targets, only nine snaps the whole game, to suddenly he has 50 snaps, seven targets, five receptions, 177 yards, and three touchdowns. That's a pretty big jump there. And again, like he's a true freshman. So that is a little bit more to be expected. But he he did do this against an FCS opponent. So part of that is like he's constantly getting open for big gains in this game. I think this is another case where, again, he's just a dude nobody planned for, and he took a lot of people by surprise, had a lot of big big gains here. But again, I went back and looked at the game log because my my initial thought was like, okay, true freshman, FCS opponent, probably, you know, came in around the same time as like Nico Marchiol and just did what Gary Bryant did last week, where it was just, you know, once the backup QB came in and once the backup receivers came in, he was the favorite target there. That's not what happened here. I will get I will give Clement credit here. Like he was very much involved from the get-go, and I think they kept going back to him. He's definitely earned a lot more snaps moving forward for the West Virginia Mountaineers. But again, it's still a little hard for me to buy in fully. And then in addition, I just don't know what to expect really from uh, new offensive coordinator Chad Scott. He is in his first year as a offensive coordinator before for those of you who don't know he was the running backs coach for west virginia he got promoted this past offseason when graham harrell went off to purdue so we don't really know what kind of usage we should really expect out of the wide receivers here like are we going to continue to see one guy get peppered um like clement was in this game he got seven targets possibly i mean the, the crazier things have happened but if he's learning anything from Neil Brown, the head coach, Neil Brown has only had one number one receiver in the past 10 years that has seen more than 15 fantasy points per game. And that was Teddy Rubin in 2015. He went 63 receptions at 879 yards and nine touchdowns. So even that wasn't like, you know, the craziest wide receiver stat line ever. So in redraft, I'm definitely not touching him right now. But in terms of dynasty, I mean, any true freshman that emerges this early, I mean, you got to spend some money on him to go ahead and grab him. So that's kind of my thoughts. Those are my five, like, you know, waiver wire traps that I would try to avoid this week. Again, they performed really, really well. Congratulations to them. 
I just think you, we should not get ahead of our skis here when it comes to picking those guys up. Now, who do I think you should actually target? That's probably what you guys really want to hear. And let's, we'll finish on a positive note. Let's go talk about some quarterbacks here. As soon as I take myself another sip here. Ah, thank you, guys. Anyway, let's talk about some quarterbacks. This first quarterback I did not plan on putting on this show, mostly because I could have sworn this dude was well over the 30% roster ship threshold that I try to have for this show, you know, in order to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm providing you guys players that are more than likely available in your leagues. Um, but Bert Emanuel only rostered in 20%. For those of you who don't know who this is, this is the dual threat quarterback out of Central Michigan who, quite frankly, has some of the best legs in the entire conference. He's another one of these quarterbacks who struggles in the pass, but dang, his legs are phenomenal. And once he gets into Mac play, just like we saw this past week, he's going to be absolutely unleashed. He has improved his passing from last year, which is, you know, kind of weird to say when I when this past week he went seven for nineteen and less than two hundred yards. But like last year, the the staff at Central Michigan would not let him throw it more than three passes in a game. So the fact that they were willing to let him throw it almost twenty times actually shows me that they do think that he has improved somewhat in that arena. He did complete seven passes, almost two hundred yards. That's kind of kind of impressive in a way, like completely only seven passes, but almost 200 yards. So good efficiency there, I guess, but um, not something I'm going to fully expect week on a week in a week out basis. But even still, like even without the passing, he had some really phenomenal games last year to finish again, 48.18 fantasy points, 17.08 fantasy points and 25.5 fantasy points. Again, that's without any kind of passing there. So now that he is the full-time starter, the, the coaching staff seems to trust him. But I, maybe we blew up about, or we kind of blew up the possibility of Jace Bauer just a little bit too much here. Because again, it's not like Emmanuel's been lighting the world on fire through the passing game. His legs are going to be phenomenal moving forward. Again, looking at those finishes from last year, it's somebody you're going to want in the MAC. Now, don't start him against anybody outside the MAC or an FCS competition. Because, like, this next upcoming week, you got Notre Dame. Absolutely do not start him against Notre Dame. Do not, don't even start him against South Alabama. South Alabama's got a pretty decent uh, defense there, and the MAC is pretty much a tier below almost every other group of five conference here, except for maybe the CUSA. I think he'll struggle in that game as well. But afterwards, again, once he gets in the MAC, he's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Grab him now, stash him for later. You're going to thank me later. Next quarterback here we'll talk about is Mr. Dante Moore, the quarter, the true freshman quarterback out of UCLA, rostered in 29% of fantasy leagues. I have to imagine a good chunk of those are dynasty leagues, obviously. But now that he is the like the locked-in starter for UCLA, because let's be real, um, Blake Garbers looked like, or not Blake Garbers, good lord, Ethan Garbers looked like Ethan Garbage last week, and Dante Moore absolutely outshone him. Dante's Inferno is coming for the Pac-12. He, in my opinion, has that it factor. I have been wa- I've watched both of the UCLA games, and he has looked very, very good, and I truly think he'll only continue to grow. He is in a system with Chip Kelly that has been phenomenal for CFF the last couple of years. I mean, DTR was the QB 19 in 2021, QB 7 in 2022, just last year. Kind of the major concern here is like, 
and you're probably all thinking it as I'm talking about it, is like, well, DTR was a runner. Dante Moore was not has not been really a runner, and you are absolutely correct. He has only uh, seven attempts for negative seven yards, has not really been using the legs so much, and he really lacked that ability in high school as well. But as, and again, got to credit Nate Marquise again for pointing this out to me, if you look at Dorian Thompson-Robinson's rushing numbers in high school, he didn't really have a lot of rushing ability either, and Kelly kind of turned that around really, really quick there. So I think what's going to happen here is as Dante Moore gets comfortable in the passing game here, we are going to see him start to get a bit more comfortable, maybe run around just a little bit more moving forward, just in the same way that he um, Kelly did with DTR over the years. And it really, really helps that, you know, UCLA has a beautiful schedule moving forward. Again, it's the Pac-12. Most of these defenses are pretty challenged. But um, I, the only really ones I would be concerned about moving forward is Utah. But even Utah didn't really look the best at times um, against Florida or Baylor in terms of their defense. And then Oregon State. Um, I would say that their defenses looked very, very solid um, this year. So I would be a little bit concerned about that game. But otherwise, like... Chip Kelly's offense has been lighting people up for years there. I think Dante Moore is absolutely going to kind of build his skill set as the year goes along. I think you go ahead and grab him now and don't start him yet. I would say again, maybe against FCS competition, but like he's going to be somebody I think that pays off down the line. Next quarterback we'll throw out here. I will try not to do this um, too often. Um, I, I, I want to bring you guys new names on a week-by-week basis here, but I have to bring back up Kadon Salter. One, just so I can pat myself on the back a little bit, because, you know, got to do that a little bit. Um, but at the same time, like, he's still only 20% rostered in college fantasy football leagues. I mean, Kadon Salter, I told you guys last week, I'm like, any guy who gets 19 rushing attempts for his offense in a historically good dual offense for dual threat quarterbacks is somebody you're going to want to have and lo and behold lo and behold he goes off and has a top 10 qb performance this past week against new mexico state quite frankly this is going to be the last chance you're going to be able to grab him there's no way he's going to be under 30 percent after this week again with the finish that he just had his potential is absolutely phenomenal and i've mentioned it before that like again Couple, again, I, I shouldn't ramble on about this too long. Again, just know these things. You got a dual threat quarterback and a Jamie Chadwell offense. Think Grayson McCall. And you also have a Charmin Ultrasoft CUSA schedule here. Salter is going to eat this year. And again, is he going to have four touchdowns every single game? No. I mean, that's just the way college fantasy works. You're going to have some up and down weeks. But at the same time, like, that is, like, those things all there together is absolutely a recipe and quite frankly makes him better than a lot of the options that you're going to see on the waiver wire moving forward. Grab this guy and increase your QB depth for your team here. Oh, and by the way, I've been, I meant to say this at the very top. Uh, one of the feedbacks that y'all kind of gave me about the waiver wire show last week and it's something I'm going to try to do moving forward is these guys are going to be ordered in terms of who I think is the most important at the position for you to grab and to who I, you know, I get a, I get a little bit more um, iffy towards the guys towards the end or, you know, all of these guys I recommend obviously, but at the same time, like, you know, the, you, you'll notice the tone shift as we go along to where I'm going to point out probably a few more things I don't like about the guys later, but I'm letting you know that there are pretty legitimate options here. So let's move on to our fourth quarterback option. Jacob Zeno, quarterback out of UA 
be here, we had no idea what kind of offense Trent Dilfer and his staff would be running for the Blazers this year. And the answer is air raid, I guess. Because, like, you know, they got a pretty good stable of running backs there. But, like, Zeno has thrown 40-plus times in the two games that the Blazers have played this year. Again, against North Carolina A&T, 41 times, 38 completions, 291 yards, three touchdowns. He also has a little bit of rushing on the ground. You know, not too much here. Again, five carries for 31 yards. And then this past week, and again, maybe the part of this was game script, but again, he goes 43 passes, um, 33 completions, 385 yards, and two touchdowns, and then he gets another touchdown on the ground there. Just absurd volume. I don't think anybody was really expecting out of the Blazers this year. Their defense is also very suspect. I'm glad I got that call correctly last week with uh, the Georgia Southern players. Their defense is pretty suspect, so I do. I think they're going to be continued to for they're going to be continued to force to be pa- to pass. Um, in order to keep up with a lot of teams this year. So I think Zeno is absolutely a volume play moving forward. Again, I'm I'm a little skeptical about their ability to put, continue to put up points against some of their AAC competition on the line. But like, you know, odds are they're probably going to still be scoring some garbage touchdowns at worst. Um, if you look ahead at the schedule there, a couple of tougher defenses against Tulane in three weeks, Georgia in two weeks. Like, obviously, you're not going to start Jacob Zeno in that game probably. But at the same time, like, I think, again, anytime you're seeing a quarterback that's throwing 40-plus times in every single game, probably somebody worth grabbing and stashing onto your roster if you have the room. So, touch on one last quarterback here, Mr. Thomas Castellanos. This is a guy that we are all very excited to see what he would do with Gus Malzahn in the UCF offense. John Rice Plumley comes back another year. Castellanos is like, I'm not waiting another year. He goes off to Boston College, sits behind um, Moorhead for maybe about a quarter before they realize, like, oh, let's, you know, we're at Boston College. Let's at least throw out the guy there that, you know, kind of provides a little bit more dynamic play. And dynamic play we have seen from Castellanos. Last couple of games, we have seen him use his legs. Again, the first game, nine carries, 67 yards and a touchdown. This past week, saw 16 carries. 69 yards, no touchdowns. Again, dual threat quarterback in a AAC offense against AAC defenses. I think there's plenty of shootouts in the next couple of weeks, um, especially uh, Louisville and Virginia there over in uh, two weeks from now and three weeks from now look especially tasty. I would not start Castellanos against Florida State. I think there's a lot of potential here. I, I think this is absolutely a guy you should grab and hold on to your bench, kind of see what happens over the next couple of weeks. You'd rather hold on him to your be- hold on to him on your bench and kind of see what happens rather than you know let let somebody else grab him. Because again, the with a dual threat guy like this, I think you know the potential is absolutely incredible here. But I also wouldn't say that he's probably going to be a guy that if you're looking for somebody like if say you're if, say you drafted two quarterbacks that are, you know, crap in the bed so far this year. I don't think Castellanos is really going to be that guy that you can pick up off the waiver wire and he's now your starter every single week. That's not what Castellanos is going to be. I think he's absolutely a depth play where, you know, if you get in trouble, a quarterback's out for a week and you have a good matchup, Castellanos is going to be absolutely one of those guys that you're going to be glad to have on your bench. So a couple of honorable mentions at quarterback. Again, we only kind of deep diving into 
five of them, but I want to throw out there Ben Woolbridge. You know, he's a top 12 QB through two weeks, you know, 30 point or th- 30 fantasy points through two games. But, you know, Louisiana's kind of been feasting on some bad competition. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep that up. And then Tyler Van Dyke and Connor Wigman kind of both in the same boat here. Tyler Van Dyke, um, I thought about putting him in my top five because, again, I do believe in him. I think he's a really good quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the NFL comes calling next year for him. But he's only thrown 30-plus passes in one of the two games, and it was, like, barely over 30. So he doesn't really have—he doesn't really do much with his legs, so you rely on him to be super efficient in the passing game, which, granted, their passing game looks really, really good. Shout-out to Shane Dawson for actually putting that together. I'm kind of impressed by it so far. But for right now, I'm not fully ready to have him be a recommendation for you guys. And then last but not least here, Connor Wigman, top 10 QB so far, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to sustain that. Again, he's not really much of a runner. He only had 23 passes against New Mexico, 53 passes against Miami. But like, do I expect them to be in the game script they were against Miami this past week so constantly? Probably not. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say hold I'm holding off on fully recommending Connor Weekman. Now if they get into a close game and you know he's passing a ton still, I'll probably throw him out there. Let's go ahead and get to running backs here. Um, this is the must-grab running back play of the week, in my opinion. There's really two here that are in kind of their own tier here. And then the other ones, you know, it gets a little iffy after that point, but we'll get all to that. Uh, sorry, y'all just needed a drink there. But we'll start with Darius Taylor here. Guys, Minnesota running backs. Don't we love them in college fantasy football? They have been absolutely gorgeous for us the last couple of years, especially with Muhammad Ibrahim there at the top. But Minnesota, like we are all kind of concerned going into this year. Like, you know, they got they got uh, several good options there. I mean, Sean Tyler coming up from Western Michigan. You got Darius Taylor coming in as a, tr- a true freshman. Zach Evans was still kind of on the mend. He, he was sounding pretty good from what it sounded like. You got Bryce Williams there, who's, you know, a very much a veteran presence in this room. Everything kind of pointed to there being a more committee approach here especially with both the beat reporters and the coaching staff kind of mentioning that like, we want to pass more. Like we, we fully expect we're going to pass more. And that lasted about, about a week and a half here, it seems. So again, we got the committee we were expecting last week. It looks like that changed big time this week. They kind of narrowed it down to two guys at the start there between Tyler and a true freshman Darius Taylor. But really after that, it became all Taylor after the half. He was getting like six, seven carries for every one carry that Sean Tyler was getting. I was super, super impressed what he was able to do this past week. Again, 33 rushing attempts for 193 yards and a touchdown. That is the Minnesota running back that we have been waiting for. I really hope this continues here and they don't go back to a committee approach because, quite frankly, Taylor looks the part. As a true freshman, I'm very impressed with him so far. I can only believe he's going to get better as the season goes along. It's just like Minnesota's learned really quickly. The hype and the gaslighting around Cali Manis being a good passer and the fact they're going to pass more and be more efficient in the passing game, I think that that's dead. They're quickly moving away from that. Minnesota's going to return to their roots here. And, of course, there's a ton of risk here that this is a one-week deal. But are you willing... Are you, are you willing? Are you really willing to risk giving that up to somebody else if taylor is the number one running back for minnesota moving forward like are you willing to risk that going to somebody else 
I wouldn't. I per- like again, just it, say say this doesn't work after like two weeks. Maybe Taylor fades after a couple of weeks here because you know true freshmen they hit a wall sometimes. But like, I'm not willing to risk that. So to me, he is the most important play. Even though the other guy we're about to talk about is probably the safer play out of the two. The upside of Taylor, though, given what we saw this past week, absolutely phenomenal. And like again, look at these. Look at this upcoming schedule: UNC, Northwestern, Louisiana. He's got some opportunity moving forward. I think he'll be great. Let's talk about our second running back here. Let's talk about Elijah Gillum. This is quite frankly one of those guys that I should have had on last week. It was something I don't just completely slipped my mind when I was making the show sheet. But Elijah Gillum, we know that Tedford is a top 20 coach in America when it comes to producing fantasy points for his running back. One, I was a big believer in Malik Sherrod. I kind of ignored the fact that he was, you know, tiny and probably couldn't carry that workload i was kind of buying into some of the press i was talking about how good he was but along comes elijah gillum he looks the part he very much has the size to be a guy that you know can touch the ball 20 25 times per game for them and that's exactly what he has done last couple of weeks exactly 20 carries in each of his games now malik sherrod is hurt quite frankly this is just gillum's job the rest of the it's just his job the rest of the year. I really don't think there's anything that's going to take that away from him. They got a baby soft schedule moving forward. I think I've mentioned it before. They have the seventh easiest schedule in the country. That should lead to a lot, and I mean a lot, of time for um, needing to grind out clock towards the end of the game. I think Gillum will be perfect for that. He's going to have some really, really big weeks moving forward. Again, look at these. Look at the upcoming opponents. Arizona State. Gillum performed really well against Purdue. I think he'll be fine against Arizona State. Kent State, Nevada, like, oh my God. This schedule is absolutely insane. I think uh, Gillum is, in addition to, like, Taylor, Taylor is like the, oh my God, I can't pass up this opportunity. Gillum is like the, if you're a safe player, if you're somebody who just likes safe options on a week-by-week basis, you're maybe not shooting for, you know, those, like, four touchdown games guy that breaks away for 90 yard touchdowns if you if you don't shoot for that but you shoot for the guy that gets the volume every week kill him's your guy this that he is the must pick up for you this week quite frankly he's six percent rostered right now ain't no way that is true come next week uh, again it's just been too consistent for him i can guarantee you if you play in a league with me no way no way he is still on he is still on the way for wire by next week if He's not already, because I'm pretty sure I grabbed him in a ton of leagues last week. Anyway, let's go talk about our next running back here. Mr. Corey Kiner, step on up, sir. Man, big disappointment last year. They went full committee at with the Bearcats last year, but I think this is a very much a case where we were just a year too early on a guy, very similar to Jerome Ford a couple of years ago, where you know he goes to Cincinnati. We were expecting him to immediately take the job there. Didn't work out the first year, second year. Oh boy, here he comes. Well, here comes Mr. Kiner. He very much looks like the top running back option for the Bearcats this year. He's out carrying the nearest running back on the roster. 33 carries to 10. He's already over 250 yards through two weeks. He is going to be massive moving forward for the Bearcats. Obviously, there is concern about, you know, Emory Jones. Got that dual threat ability. He's probably going to vulture some touchdowns from Kiner. Probably the big kind of question mark around Kiner is stuff around that. But we kind of saw this last week. Like once 
Cincinnati kind of got into a scenario where Emory Jones is not able to just out-athlete people on the field. They're going to rely on Kiner for the more steady down-to-down play. He got 22 carries in this past week, 150, or um, excuse me, just 20 carries in this past week, 153 yards and a touchdown. Just grinding, grinding, grinding in that game. If you look at the history for Scott Satterfield, the head coach there at Louisville, he has kind of gone more committee the last couple of years. But if you go back to 2020, Javian Hawkins was just absolutely dominating the Louisville backfield back then before he got injured. So Satterfield is absolutely willing to go after a number one running back when he has a guy who he think is a, thinks is a clear cut above everybody else. Given the fact that Kiner is, you know, out carrying the nearest running back 33 to 10, I think Kiner's their guy and absolutely worth a pickup at this point in leagues. We were a year too late on him. Let's move on to our fourth running back here. Let's talk about Makai Hughes, rostered in 0% of leagues. You're probably asking me, like, Makai who? Makai who's? There's a joke in there somewhere. Anyway, this two-lane backfield, we were expecting to be full committee really after week one. Like, we were all taking our shots on different guys. Like, oh, maybe some guy can break away. You know, shoddy Clayton Johnson, who looked decent towards the end last year. You got guys like, you know, Shedra Lewis, who were coming in. You got Iverson Clement, who was coming in, or not coming in, who, who was there as well. I mean, I took shots in Dynasty Leagues on Arnold Barnes, who was said to have been the best running back at times during the offseason. But along comes this guy, Makai Hughes. And, you know, Tulane going against Ole Miss, easily one of their biggest games on the schedule this year, a ranked-v-ranked matchup. And I can't ignore this. I can't ignore what happened here. Makai Hughes, 23 rushing attempts, 92 yards, and a touchdown. You're sitting there saying, like, okay, like, that's a good stat line. But, like, the next closest running back got seven carries. Hughes absolutely broke away. Now, maybe this was a hot hand situation, but I wouldn't even say that because he was carrying less on a down-for-down basis. I've said before, with a lot of these, you know, G5 schools, when they go up against Power 5 competition, especially Power 5 competition that probably just out-athletes them on defense, who do they go to? And I I said this in the context, especially at receiver, like who gets open? Who are they relying on? I think there's also a thread of truth in here when it comes to the running back situation. Like, Tulane could have absolutely gone running back by committee like they did it in week one here, but no, they kept feeding Makai Hughes. They kept trusting him to carry the ball against an Ole Miss defense, which I'm not going to pretend like they're the greatest defense in the world or anything like that, but it's still a fairly solid defense compared to most G5 competition that Tulane faces on a week-by-week basis. I think that the fact that they were willing to trust Hughes in this big of a spot spells really good fortune for him down the line. Again, this could all crash and burn within a week or two, but we're going to find out pretty quickly because, again, Tulane, they got Southern Miss next week. Like, that's not a tough competition. Hughes will, if Hughes has a big performance there, obviously very big for the Green Wave moving forward. Then you got FCS, FCS opponent the week after that, and then you got UAB the week after that. We're going to find out really quickly if this is, like, legit or not. For now, this, again, because of what guys like Tajay Spears did last year when he broke away from the rest of this two-lane running back room, this is very similar to Darius Taylor where, like, 
I'm not willing to risk that. Again, maybe I drop him within a week or two, but if this is legit, you're going to want to have this guy stashed on your bench. So that's kind of my thought on here. If the staff really was waiting on one guy to take this running back room by the horns, I think they found him. We'll find out within the next couple of weeks here. Last running back we'll talk about here. Let's talk about Damon Claiborne. This was a guy that, I mean, again, I've given Nate Marquise a lot of shout outs on this show here today, which is probably not wise because he'll he'll uh he'll rib me too much for that um but anyway i gotta give him just another shout out here um there we go so name or spotted this guy as early as last year like he had claiborne at, on the freshman 50 in our cff guide last year he was saying already before the season like you know wake forest shouldn't go with justice ellison claiborne should be their main guy this is going to be another kenneth walker situation if they do well, we saw it in week one. Justice Ellison got more carries, but guess what? Claiborne showed him out last week and ran for over 80 yards in that game and already kind of telling you that, you know, Claiborne's clearly the better option out of the two running backs here. And then Justice Ellison is out this week. So we got to see a good, good look at Demond Claiborne here. And through the first three drives for Wake Forest in this game, he got every, I repeat, every single carry and by by the end of the half or close to the end of the half he was the only one or he had um 12 carries already in one half second half kind of rolls around they bring in Tate Carney to kind of give him some relief a little bit um but he still ends the day with 26 rushing attempts 165 yards and zero touchdowns if Wake Forest is going to run this year a little bit more than they have in the past they got to do it through Claiborne I just don't know how you go back to Justice Ellison after this kind of performance now some other people might point out that you know oh tate carney did really well he got over 100 yards too most of that came on a 74 yard run otherwise carney had 3.58 yards per carry compared to claiborne 6.3 so claiborne still to me clearly the better more explosive on or more regularly explosive running back out of the two here i think he'll still be the guy that the staff relies on for the most part this is again Maybe he doesn't get 26 carries every single week because, you know, the Wake Forest passing game is going to work some days better than others. But for right now, if you're, in, if you're a team that is in need of some running back help, which I know some of my teams are, I'm absolutely targeting Demond Claiborne moving forward. Let's go ahead. Oh, wait, I got to talk about some running backs. Uh, honorable mentions here. First of all, a reminder. Uh, Nathan Carter is still available in a lot of leagues. He, he's just above the threshold of 30% I place for these um place for this show but he said like 31 percent. he's still available in a lot of leagues and he just performed well again this past week kind of separate himself in that michigan state offense now granted there you know there's some turmoil going on in michigan state right now i don't have all the details yet so i'm not going to fully discuss it here but you know maybe things change for the spartans over there but for right now like nathan carter is the offense for Michigan State at times right now. And the last time that happened, we got a guy named Kenneth Walker to go absolutely off. So he's another guy that if you're in trouble at running back, I would take a shot on. And then some honorable mentions from this past week. Amari and Hampton, it's back and forth for me. He, without British Brooks, he is clearly the guy. 234 yards in 26 carries, three touchdowns this past week. Like he was the entire UNC offense for this past week. He was absolutely phenomenal against Appalachian State. The problem is, again, 
British Brooks was out. And quite frankly, the first week, British Brooks outperformed Hampton. So like what happens when British Brooks comes back? That's the other question is that there's there's kind of conflicting reports on like when is British Brooks coming back? There's reports that he's fine. He'll be back soon. And then there's other there's rumors out there that this is a bit more of a serious long-term injury. If that's the case, then Hampton's absolutely worth a grab. That's one everybody needs to keep their eye keep their eye to the ground, keep their ear to the ground, and kind of listen about UNC and kind of figure out what's going on there. I'm sure I can ask uh, Brandon Sanders later today, see if he's heard anything. But the other one here, um, honorable mention again. This is a, another scenario where a running back room that is typically is gone by committee suddenly had somebody go for 26 carries. Miles Bailey there at Central Michigan, obviously. You guys remember Lou Nichols a couple years ago with the Central Michigan team. You know, they're willing to feed one guy. I don't know if I'm willing to believe Miles Bailey is that guy after one week, but, you know, he does this again next week. I'm going to invest in him as a Mac running back. All right, let's move on to some wide receivers. This is kind of where we got a lot of fun guys here. And quite frankly, the first one we're, gonna, we're going to discuss here is probably the most important waiver wire pickup of the week and that is gage larvidane quite frankly this was an absolute failure on my part to not have larvidane on last week's podcast again so many options unfortunately just got lost in the shuffle and i really should have had him on the show because i I'm, I'm kicking myself for not having us had our flag planted on this guy a week before when i knew that he was probably going to have a really good week this week anyway We've seen the wide receiver one at Miami of Ohio just be an absolute goldmine for CFF, especially when Brett Gabbard is at the quarterback position. He loves keying in on one guy. Last year for 2022, Mac Hippenhammer was that guy when Brett Gabbard was there at quarterback. And again, kind of fell off down the season a little bit. But even still, like they clearly had one guy. 2021 and 2020, Jack Sorensen was just Oh my God, absolutely gorgeous. I can't remember which year it was. I think it was 2020 where he was averaging over 25 fantasy points per game. Just absolutely insane stuff from him that year. And so again, we got Brett Gabbert back. Clearly he has found his favorite here. Larvardane has 24 targets so far this year. The next closest receiver for the Red Hawks, which is Miles Marshall, the guy I was investing in during this offseason. So completely whiffed on that one, Jared. He has four. Larvardane has 20 more targets compared to the next closest receiver. This is an absolute no-brainer. Maybe you stash him against Cincinnati this week. You know, Cincinnati's got a pretty decent defense. But other than that, like every team on this schedule, you start him just because of the system he's playing in and the amount of volume he is getting. He The, the max schedule after Cincinnati and the FCS schedule after Cincinnati is absolutely golden. He might be one of the most important pickups you make all year long right here. Next wide receiver we'll talk about here, Mr. Xavier Leggett, probably not pronouncing that correctly, but so my apologize, my apologies, Xavier there. He is rostered in, by the way, Larvardane, again, I mentioned he's the most important guy that you can probably pick up this week. He is available everywhere, everywhere. He's rostered in 3% of leagues. It's like... It's, you need to go pick him up right now. That's just simple as that. Anyway, Xavier Leggett. Let's get back to this guy. He's rostered in 20% of leagues, which is crazy considering that, you know, Lavardane's 3%. Um, quick disclaimer on this one. 
This is contingent on Antoine Wells being out, as I do not know really what this target share will look like when he returns. But for now, Leggett is the main guy for the Gamecocks. Again, you know, Spencer Rattler has looked good the first two games of the season. Leggett commanding 17 targets on the year so far compared to just 11 targets for Amarian Brown, uh, the second wide receiver there. Clearly gets the number one guy right now. South Carolina seems intent on passing more. Again, they got 76 passes through two games. And quite frankly, Leggett looks to be their big play guy. Again, he's 19.7 yards per catch right now. His ADOT is 16.3. So they're targeting him deep a ton. I think that, again, as long as Wells is out, Leggett is a legit option. Again, I probably wouldn't you know throw him up against Georgia this week. But like otherwise, I don't really see how you sit him given the fact that, again, he's averaged 21.4 fantasy points per game so far. Again, I, I guess, I don't see how you leave him on the waiver wire. I can see how you can sit him, obviously, once again, one against Georgia, too, just to kind of figure out what's going on with Antoine Wells. But if you get word that Antoine Wells is out in two weeks against Mississippi State, no reason to sit Leggett. He looks legit. All right, next wide receiver. Let's talk about Sam Brown. Wide receiver out of Houston. Yes, yes, I know. Matthew Golden's getting the touchdowns. Yes, yes, I know. Matthew Golden's got the targets ahead of Sam Brown, but like Brown is the more reliable receiver for Donovan Smith right now. Again, Brown's only rostered in 14% of leagues right now, but he's a guy that, you know, this past week got 12 targets for nine receptions, 138 yards, no touchdowns, unfortunately, but as I'll get to in a second, those touchdowns are going to come. Like, there's no, like, it, it would be insanely bad luck for a guy of this much volume each week to just not see the pointage that come with them. Let's kind of compare Sam Brown to Matthew Golden for a second. Obviously, again, Matthew Golden, the golden boy, he's got the three touchdowns so far. But again, like I said, Brown's just more reliable. Brown, 88.2 catch rate versus 42.9% for Matthew Golden. Golden's got three drops already this year brown has 8.9 yards per catch versus golden who has 1.9 yards per catch actually that doesn't sound right wait a second y'all i'm gonna go over here i would say that that does not sound right there's no way he only has 1.9 yards per catch um yeah, okay, he's got 10.7. Yeah, okay, I, I, wrote, I wrote that down wrong. My apologies, y'all. Anyway, um, yes. Yes, okay, yeah. So, yeah, Sam Brown has 16.3 yards per catch versus Matthew Golden has 10.7 yards per catch. So, Brown's outproducing him there. Brown is also better after the catch. You got Brown, who has 128 yards after the catch versus only 17 for Matthew Golden. Brown has hit 100-plus yards in his first two games. You don't leave a guy who's getting that much production on the waiver wire. Brown keeps up this consistency. The touchdowns are going to come. It'll only be a matter of time, especially if Houston's defense continues to be in the rough shape that it was in this past week. Like, How do you let JT Daniels and Rice put up 43 points on you and go down 28-0 to zero by halftime? You let food do that to you, Houston. You let food do that to you. Anyway. Like I said, because of that defense, passing volume is going to be there every single week. I think Brown and Golden will both be involved, but Golden is owned everywhere and Brown is not. 
And quite frankly, that needs to change pretty, pretty quickly because like, look at these defenses that he's going up against here pretty soon. TCU, we saw what we, we saw what Colorado did to them. And then Texas Tech, we've seen what Wyoming and Oregon were able to do to them. Sam Houston, I'm still trying to figure out just how good they are, but you know, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, Houston will be able to put some points up on them, but you know, they struggled against Rice this past week, so can't guarantee anything there. Alrighty, let's move on to our fourth wide receiver here. This is Chris Mitchell. This is a guy that almost made it onto last week's episode for waiver wires. I just wanted to see one more week out of him just to see if this is legit or not. And I'm going to call it legit. FIU has seen an absolute makeover in its passing game since week zero. The change at quarterback from Grayson James to Keon Jenkins has just been kind of incredible. They went from having four passing yards in their first game against Louisiana Tech, which Louisiana Tech does not have a great defense, to now over five to 583 passing yards over the last two games. Just a complete 180 in terms of what they've been able to do through the air there. And this really has just been to the benefit of one Chris Mitchell. He has seen 22 targets over the last two games. Quite frankly, he has accounted for over half of the passing receiving yards for the Panthers so far. This offense flows through him. This is the kind of guy that you want to have on your team, a guy that you know this offense will be looking his way on a week out and week in and week out basis. We've also seen that again, he's shown that he can score, he can produce in low scoring contests. Again, looking at the FIU main game where, you know, there's only two touchdowns that he scored both of them. And then as well as some high scoring affairs. I mean, this past week against North Texas, again, 11 targets, seven receptions, 94 yards and a touchdown. FIU is able to um, utilize him pretty, pretty well here. Again, and much like a lot of CUSA, this schedule is just beautiful up and coming. Again, UConn, Liberty, New Mexico State, UTEP, Sam Houston, Jacksonville State, like I don't, Middle Tennessee. I'm already in November, and I don't really see a team that I am sitting Chris Mitchell against here. Obviously, Arkansas in week, what is that, 11? Yeah, you know, first week of the playoffs? Not great. That kind of sucks. But like, or excuse me, week 12. So like second week of the playoffs? Or Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, it's in the playoffs. That sucks. But, you know, and then he played Western Kentucky, which hopefully that's a pretty high-scoring game right there. Again, the the playoff matchup sucks and then also again they also have uh two bye weeks moving forward i think they're off week five and ten so you still got to deal with two bye weeks there but still like a guy getting this much volume and is so pivotal pivotal to this offense definitely need to have a share of him or two throughout your leagues especially if you're struggling a wide receiver let's go talk about our last wide receiver here mr dante right wide receiver out of temple we knew that temple with the amount of volume that they were going to have in the passing game they were going to have enough to at least keep one receiver fed and it looks like that'll be colorado state transfer dante right again a lot of us including myself were kind of big on ahmad anderson taking his step up this year but this dude's got 23 targets through two games compared to 15 for uh, uh david martin robinson the tight end there and then 13 for ahmad anderson again my preseason favorite to be the number one. Clearly, that's not happening so far. But again, out of the wide receivers, he's probably the one I am the least likely to truly recommend here. Again, he's suffering some from some rough QB play. He's only had a 60.9 cash percentage so far. 
He is not targeted very deep at all. This is, he's basically the Matthew Golden of the Temple offense. Like he is not the guy that they're throwing down deep to. That's Ahmad Anderson. Um, like let's compare the two. Like you got um, for rights, you got ten yards per catch versus Ahmad Anderson's got sixteen point eight. In terms of average depth of target, you got Dante Wright with 9.3 yards um, on average depth of target versus Ahmad Anderson's got 14.2. Wright's a volume play. He needs to improve his ability to catch. Now, granted, part of that is just EJ Warner being off. But again, when you have 11 targets and only can, only can bring in five of them, it's a little bit concerning. But again, this is a volume play. He's going to have some big games. And anybody who is getting 10 plus targets per game just should be rostered somebody. You don't have to start them, but like anybody with that kind of volume should find a home on somebody's roster in your league. And again, they're playing in the AAC. Like I said, they're going to have some big matchups here. Hopefully they kind of get some stuff figured out down the line here. But again, it's just too much volume to really overlook there. All right. A couple of honorable mentions at wide receiver. Again, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm actually not going to go in depth with them really at all compared to what I did with the quarterbacks and running backs because it's just a lot of them. I will say Jared Brown, uh, very similar to uh, Nathan Carter, just outside the 30% threshold here. He is absolutely somebody that you need to have. Um, and then a couple other guys that kind of stood out from this past week that I think are worth pick, um, taking a look at. You kind of make your own judgment calls on some of these. Uh, Colin Lacey out of South Alabama. We know what they can do with the number one wide receiver. Is Lacey the guy? I don't know yet, but we'll see. Uh, Marlon Johnson out of Buffalo had a good week this past week. The trio out of Miami. I really could have just put them all as one graphic because I, I do think it is worth digging around in all three of those guys because, you know, Tyler Van Dyke looked really good this past week and they funneled it to just three guys, Colby Young, Jacoby George, and Xavier Restrepo. All three of them looked good for the Hurricanes this past week. I think all worth, all three are worth taking a look at in your league. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this, but um, you know what? I guess I have to. Catchper... Rukiewicz, that, 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 I butchered that horribly. I'll have to look that one up later. But anyway, um, wide receiver out of the Mac there. Uh, he, had a, he had a phenomenal week this past week, and any kind of Mac play that you can go after there I think is good. And then Easton Messer, with Malachi Corley out this past week and you know Michael Matheson out for the longest time, there's a lot of room for you know receivers to step up at Western Kentucky. Easton Messer was the guy who came away with 12 targets after this past week. Now, granted, again, they're playing an FCS opponent. They're probably rolling out a lot of guys out there that they probably wouldn't normally rely on. But something to keep an eye on there, and especially in a dynasty league, Messer's absolutely worth keeping an eye out for because they're going to continue to run that system at Western Kentucky as long as they can. All right. Let's go talk about some tight ends real quick. I'll be real with you guys. All three of these I have some pretty big doubts on. Um, for the most part, again, none of them are like the guy you grab and, oh, you're going to be starting this guy every single week. If anything, that's the honorable mention I'll have at the end because he's outside 30%, but I think he's the most important tight end pickup of the week. But we'll go through my three guys here that are under 30% here. We'll start with Harold Fannin. This is a Chris Moxley special right here. He was on Fannin from the beginning, just an uber athlete playing in the match, just com completely more athletic than the rest of his team and, quite frankly, just probably his entire conference there. He's probably the only tight end out of these three that I would be super excited about picking up. 
I think his involvement only grow. Again, he's a, a redshirt freshman from last year. I think once they reach conference play, you should expect a lot of big games. 13 targets in two games. Good volume there, but ADOT's only 5.8 yards. Um, so again, you would hope to kind of see that kind of go down the field just a little bit more. But on average, he creates 10 yards after the catch. So like, uh, he just they just kind of get the ball to him and see what he can do with it because, you know, that's what you do with Uber athletes. So fan, it's a fun little pickup right there. Next tight end, I'll talk about. Oh, by the way, obviously, do not start Harold Fannin against Michigan. Um, poor, poor Falcons are the latest G5 sacrifice to the big blue gods of Michigan. Uh, don't start Fannin there. Anyway, Bryce Demos is my next tight end here out of UAB. Probably the one I'm least excited about among the tight ends here. But, you know, eight targets, seven receptions, 47 yards, and a touchdown this past week. We talked about the UAB passing game earlier. Anytime that you can find a tight end that is involved in a passing offense that has just this much go like this much volume going into it, it's worth taking a shot on. Again, it's like guys like David Martin Robinson, guys like, you know, Dalvin Smith as well, like with him being kind of the tight end wide receiver hybrid there. They're just worth taking shots on here. Do I think it's going to be a guy that you're going to start in week in and week out? No, but, you know, there's potential for him to be a weekly starter here. So that's my thoughts on Bry- Bryce Damos. Again, I'm not, if you can't tell, I barely sold myself on him, uh, let alone sell you guys on it. So he'll probably still be on the list next week if he goes off again. And then the third tight end here is Mr. Holden Stays. Tight end out of Notre Dame. We all know and love the recent history behind Notre Dame and the tight ends that they've been able to produce. Again, obviously guys like Michael Meyer, guys like Cole Komet, um, all of those guys have been phenomenal. I was kind of skeptical that this train would kind of continue, especially with people saying that Mitchell Evans was going to be the tight end one there. And technically Evans still is the tight end one because Evans is at eight targets so far compared to Stays' six. But Stays is pretty much outproducing Evans in almost everything that matters for fantasy. His catch percentage is better, 83.3 versus 62.5. His yards per reception, he has over 10 yards more per reception than Evans does at 23.3 versus 12.6. The yards per route run is just a mile of difference here because you got Stays with 4.1 yards per route run versus Evans who has 0.91. The yards after catch is just a Grand Canyon difference as well. Stays is 59 yards after the catch versus Evans, who has eight. Now, granted, again, some of these come on just a couple of big plays and everything like that, but still, it's very clear what Stays' role is in this offense. And that is, he is not the pass blocking tight end. Like, if you go and look at the PFF grades on it, like, they do not have him rated very highly in terms of what he's been able to do in the blocking game. He is out there to catch passes. And if he continues to build on that role more, he could end up being a Michael Meyer type guy moving forward. Again, very similar earlier to guys like Makai Hughes and Darius Taylor. You might pick this guy up and drop him after like two weeks. Because like, you know, you pick him up, think he's going to be something great. And then turns out, you know, just not what you thought he was. That's fine. Roster churning's a part of college fantasy. But are you willing to risk him going to somebody else's team? And especially when, you, when, when you're sitting there with like, I don't know, like a, a Trey Knox on your bench. And you're sitting there like, okay, Trey Knox has done nothing through the first two weeks. 
I'm going to drop a Trey Knox for Holden Saints every single time. Holden Saints may end up being nothing, but just the absolute potential for it, you have to go after it. So again, because you know what Notre Dame's done with these tight ends the last couple of years. So that's my last tight end there. Um, the honorable mention here, again, this is, in my opinion, if he's available in your league, probably the most important tight end pickup you can make if he's available. It's Isaac Rex, tight end out of BYU. He leads his team in targets, yards per reception, yards after catch, pretty solid ADOT of 12.3. He needs to improve his catch percentage. Again, like he's, he's dropped a couple of passes here, but again, any tight end that leads their team in targets, that's just going to be a must-own in fantasy. None of the wide receivers at BYU are like truly stepping up. Again, you got Chase Roberts doing pretty well over there, but I think Isaac Rex is the most consistent guy out of the bunch over there. So you need to go and pick him up if you're struggling at tight end and he's available. All righty, y'all. That is pretty much the end of the show here. Again, appreciate you guys listening. Hope you guys did not mind listening to my voice for about an hour and 15 minutes here again had a little bit of a hiccup with one of the stats there but otherwise i thought we had a pretty smooth show here again uh just remind you guys that again make sure you check out the sit start episode going to come out later this week on wednesday if you want to get involved in that if you're listening to this on monday morning we still have the tweet up on the chasing the natty twitter account that is asking for your sit start questions again we do two quarterback two running back two wide receiver two flex and one tight end question every single week i do try to get priority to people who have not been able to have a question on the show yet so if you are somebody who's just kind of been waiting around to see when you can get your opportunity in now's the time because there's plenty of spots still open right now we are taking those questions until tuesday at noon eastern standard time because that's when i kind of put the show show sheet together and then again just to clarify for a couple of you guys because again i know a lot of you don't have your waiver wires go through until tuesday if you want to throw in like a hypothetical scenario of like, okay, here's my two guys on here's, here's two guys from my roster. And here's a third guy I might be getting on my, um, here's a, here's a third guy I might be getting on my waiver. That totally fine. That's totally fine with me. Again, we'll, we'll probably treat that question as like a, almost like a ranking. Like if you're talking about like, all right, here's two guys or here's three guys start one. We'll probably be like, okay, if you get the guy, start him. But then if you don't get him, we'll, we'll have you start maybe one of the two guys you have. I hope that kind of makes sense. Regardless, we are going to try to make sure that we are flexible to you guys and giving you guys what you need in a timely manner. So with all of that being said, again, make sure you go check out everything at campusagain.com. All the shows we have throughout the week. Plenty of plenty of stuff to keep you guys up to date. I know Nate Marquise is about to start uh, releasing some of his articles, which are going to be absolutely phenomenal. A little bit deeper dive in terms of some stock up and stock down throughout the season. You got uh, our weekly waiver wire articles, which I know Dwight Peebles is taking care of this week. So make sure you go check out that when you have the chance. But until then, y'all really appreciate you guys. I'm glad I could just hang out with you guys for an uh, hour and 20 minutes here. But until then... Good luck on week three, and I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Y'all have a wonderful and blessed two days, I guess. See y'all.